Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching Learning Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My Ed Tech Life. I am so excited to be here with you on this beautiful, wonderful evening. Uh, it may be daytime if you're watching us in a different time zone, you know, a different place, different continents. But wherever in the world that you may be in, it doesn't matter. We just want to thank you for making My Ed Tech Life what it is today. I really want to say thank you for all the support, all the likes, shares, and follows. And to all our new subscribers, welcome. Thank you, as always. And again, be, for being part, also, thank you, excuse me, for being part of this mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time. And I am excited to have an amazing guest here today. And today's topic is going to be something that I know is, resonates with me, and it may resonate maybe with other uh, digital learning coaches that are out there. But the, today's focus is keeping the focus on practice over product. But of course, with all of that, we're going to definitely hit a couple of more things as uh, my guest tonight, Jed, is just an author. He is a father. He's a digital learning coach. He is out there sharing his knowledge with the world in the education space. So I'm just really excited to welcome him to the show today. So Jed, how are you doing this evening? Fonz, I'm doing great. Thanks for that. Warm welcome, the only podcast that apparently spans day and night. I like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I okay. try, you know, I try, but there we go. That's always one of my things. I, I hope that I know that we do have some viewers. Sometimes I'll have my friend Abbott pop in from the UK and over there it's already well into, you know, the morning hours of Wednesday and he's getting ready for work. So that's why I always throw that in for Abbott. So Abbott, if you're listening, I'm giving you a shout out, my friend. Yeah. All right. Well, Jed. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I'm really excited. I know you've had a really great day today, you know, very eventful and, you know, with work and we're talking a little bit about it pre-chat and so on. So, but I'm really excited to dive in today's conversation. But before we do so, if you can go ahead and introduce yourself and share your context in education for some of our audience members who may not be aware of your work yet, but after tonight, I know that they're going to be following you very closely on social media. So give us a little brief intro before we dive in. Sure, we'll, we'll do. Happy to. Um, and it's interesting because my title is Digital Learning Coach. Yours is Instructional Software Specialist during the day. But I bet you we end up doing a lot of the same things. And, you know, call us what you like in different states and different districts. But we all end up doing very similar work, sometimes student facing if we're lucky but also hopefully finding ways to be, to bring digital learning to the forefront. So <clears throat> my name is Jed Stefanowitz, rhymes with Bananowitz for all of you out there who need to know how to pronounce that long name. Uh, and I'm a digital learning coach. I began as a third grade teacher. I taught third grade for 20 years, and then I've been a digital learning coach for the past six years. I'm in right now in Walpole, Massachusetts, uh, just outside of the Boston area. And I loved what I do. Um, I loved being a classroom teacher and I loved being the classroom where there was always a lot of activity happening. I was one of those, we were talking about those early adopters in our pre-show. Pre and I liked being an early adopter and I liked, you know, um, 
getting kids really activated and engaged because I always looked for myself in my students. And I know as a third grader what I needed and what I would have gravitated toward. So I always enjoyed kind of building those classroom cultures that promoted that. And in turn, that caught the eye of of other people. And I ended up kind of shifting into this role of a learning coach in that district. And now I'm shifted district where I'm just just one of me in each of the elementaries, which is pretty rare to have a full-time digital learning coach. Um, and it's a role that is in classrooms as much as I can and I want to be, but it's truly meant to be an instructional coaching position too. So yes, I have responsibilities with the devices and the mechanisms and the switches in the building, but my passion is that of an educator and the teachers I work with know it and I think appreciate that. Excellent. Well, that's great to hear. And you're absolutely right, Jed. Much of what you said is exactly what I do too as well. Again, just different titles. And honestly, it feels interesting that the title that I have when I share that with everybody, they're kind of like, whoa, that's a a little (laughs) different. But we pretty much do the same. I've always heard, you know, digital coach or, you know, digital, digital innovations coach. And there's so many others that are out there. Um, instructional technologists and so on, but you know, we're all there doing the same and we all have some responsibilities. And I love the fact too, that we do get to work with students as well, not only with teachers. And of course, right now, like I mentioned to you, we're state testing season. So right now we're working a little bit more with teachers, but still making that connection with the students as we're getting ready for that. All right. Well, Jed, I want to get started with one of my favorite segments here in the show, which I know you just gave us a brief intro as far as what you currently do as your role in your district and so on. But everybody that comes onto the show is really somebody that has done some amazing work and that I follow on Twitter and that I continually am looking for people to learn from. And so it's kind of like that superhero that is here. And we all know that superheroes have origin stories. So I would like to know a little bit about your origin story. And I'd like to ask first and foremost, also, uh, as you tell us a little bit of your origin story and your your uh, road here through education, was education something that you knew that you were going to go into? Or was this something that came in later in time? That's a great question. And a lot of times when I introduce myself at a workshop, I'll say I'm a digital learning coach. Before that, I taught third grade for 20 years. Before that, I was a child. It, it really is the truth. I Yes, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I knew that that's where I belonged. And, you know, you, you can call it a calling or you just kind of know where that's where you belong. But those of us who kind of took that, who knew early, you know, we, we live on a different schedule. Our year begins in September and it's, you know, there hasn't been a, a year that hasn't had that kind of summer and then back to school feel since we've been five years old. And that's a pretty great way to live. So yeah, I, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher for sure. And then as a classroom teacher, I always knew that, well, that's not true. I thought I might be in the classroom doing the same thing forever. I kind of, at the beginning, pictured myself, I'm going to do this forever. And it didn't get stale. But what happened was I realized I was doing a lot of the same things repeatedly, maybe because they were comfortable, maybe because they were awesome. And, you know, when I started to kind of refresh some things and maybe 10, 15, 20 years was long overdue, but that helps me as a digital learning coach to see that in other teachers. 
where, you know, you're doing a cardboard trifold that you did 15 years ago, chances are it's because it's a great project, but let's take a look at that. You know, let's refresh it. Let's, let's realize that the learning that you're capturing in there, think of the tools we write, we have right now to capture that learning, but instead of printing it, instead of glue sticking it, glue sticking it on the tri the paper trifold. How can we celebrate that? How can we share it? How can we amplify it? And whether it's through tools like Book Creator or having students made podcasts, or when you think of what the structure of the traditional science fair board is, it's really a website design when you think about it, a core topic that goes out to these subtopics. And why, if you're going to do that, why not give kids a lifelong skill, whether it's web design or presentation tools, that then that piece gets archived, it gets digitally created. And that is that shift toward content creation. And that's a shift away from really transactional work where kids are turning in projects, they're getting their grade. So for me, that was kind of my journey was refreshing those things, kind of reinventing, reclaiming why I got into this in the first place. And then a pandemic came along. Excellent. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But you know, everything that you described is something that is wonderful. And it still really reminds me so much of being in the classroom, really. It's just the ability as a teacher to reinvent and just do things a little bit different and just to kind of get out of your box, you know, that is something that's wonderful. And then when you see the students, like you said, not just making it transactional where you just give them a worksheet and then you give them their grade, but you're creating that learning experience. So I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more on that aspect. So those moments when you were reinventing or doing things a little bit different, I'm assuming that that probably led up into your current role because, you know, you were in, in introducing a lot of technology. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey, maybe how you were reinventing in the classroom, maybe focusing on the practice over the product a little bit, and then how it led to your current role? Yeah, the most important word in that series of sentences you just said were moments, because that's what it was. It was about capturing moments. And those moments weren't driven by the worksheet. They weren't even driven by the curriculum. You know, I think it's those moments that really, when we think about what do we remember from elementary school, it's those moments, those moments that are magical. And if you're lucky, those moments intersect three different things. They're they're memorable, they're meaningful, but they're also measurable. And if we can create moments and design instruction in ways that kind of spark those moments, uh, that's what's transformational. And I think technology can really amplify that in a way that that captures the learning in a way that makes it measurable in a lot of ways, conveniently, but also powerfully. But then we have those moments, just like we did 20, 30 years ago, that are memorable and measurable. Those are the activities, you know, you know, as a, uh, as a classroom teacher or an educator, that those are the activities where you wish you had been observed. Oh, that would have been awesome. Or you write yourself a note for the future and say, do make this twice as long. I mean, that's, that's why we get into it. And when you can capture those moments, that's all about the instructional practice. It's not about the tool. You know, the tool may have boosted it. The tool may have captured it. But you don't go in saying today we're, you know, today is about drones. It's about, okay, we're going to fly a drone in the class. It's going to be an awesome experience. That's what I mean when I talk about practice over products. And because sometimes it's easy to get 
misguided by the product. It's easy to be so excited when you go to a conference, or maybe you say, you say the magic word to a, a, you know, a company that you're an evaluator, or they know that you're a tech person. So they'll send you one of something for free. And then you find ways to bring that in. And then it was kind of flipping that around. And instead of thinking of ways to use this robot, it was totally flipping it around and thinking, okay, let's start with a curriculum, create this moment. And then, oh, I know the tool to bring in. I know the tool that's going to capture that. I know that if we podcast this, it's going to reach parents differently. So it's just a little bit of a mental shift, I think, that gets away from driving our instructional design from what products do we want to get into kids' hands to what experiences do we want them to have? What practices are we responsible for them being able to do? But more importantly, do we want to enable them to be able to do? And then thinking about the technology we use, can we enable that learning more equitably across, you know, all the students in the classroom and hear all of their voices and provide the ex same experience for all learners? Excellent. No, well said. I really enjoyed that. Now, I want to ask you, though, just uh, with that stated, what are some strategies that maybe educators can use to create these type of learning experiences? Because I know we kind of just talked a little bit, glossed over it a little bit, but in your experience, and maybe when you go and visit teachers, what are some, how, how do you talk a teacher through, you know, creating these moments and focusing more on that practice and not so much on the product? I would love to hear that for any aspiring coaches that may be listening, or even like myself, you know, to just continue to add things to my tool belt. How, what is uh, your method? Well, you know, for whether someone's an aspiring coach or aspiring teacher, or they're a veteran teacher. And I think that's the thing. It's like realizing that our buildings are full of people who want to innovate their, their teaching. And sometimes people are either intimidated or they're very comfortable or they're stuck in routines. So it's not just in new teachers and it's not fair to assume that new teachers, especially digital natives have this expectation that they're going to be great teachers. Well, why should they? They don't have that lived experience, but also professional experience that veterans do. So I guess that leads to my first piece of advice is to look around you, right? Look at the teacher next door, look on Twitter, find people on social media, see, see what lessons and activities are the engaging activities around you and ask people how they did it. You know, people love to share, but we teachers are a really funky bunch that we don't often, you know, we're so self-conscious and so private about our instructional practice, probably because it's so personal and so emotional, but we're not great at observing each other. We're not great at asking each other, but if you can get past that and get that collaboration going, I think the payoff is really strong. So, you know, in addition to that, I, the first book I wrote was called take aim at digital learning, activate, innovate, motivate. And, you know, if you're asking kind of what's my playbook, what do I recommend? If those three things figure out a way to activate the content, to innovate the instruction, and then motivate learners. Because then when you can do that, you're going to get a culture where kids want to be in school. And that's just going to elevate the engagement. And I think it's going to really uh, utilize tools and practices that are meaningful and sustainable. Excellent. I love that. And so one of the things that you did mention, though, you know, sometimes teachers can hold back a little bit. They're a little reserved, you know, as far as 
sharing. But one of the things that I love is that you definitely prioritize experiences and you definitely showcasing, talking about showcasing moments and highlighting these events of the student learning experience. So how can schools ensure that these moments are captured and shared effectively? That's a really good question. Someone should do a doctoral study on that. Oh, wait, you already are. <laughs> um, because there isn't a great answer, and especially when, you know, if it's rooted in the tool, by the time it becomes mainstream, the tool is going to change. So it shouldn't be rooted in the tool. It should be rooted in, I think, what is it that you're trying to capture? And if we're, if we're serious about, you know, we say it all the time, we want to shift kids from being content consumers to content creators, right? And that can be buzzy, but it's really transformational. It was for me, the first kind of big conference I went to, that, that was kind of dropped. And I, it, it was really meaningful me, for me to think about that. So then I thought about, all right, what is content creation with technology? How are we using digital tools in classrooms? And I think it's capturing those, capturing, yes. When I say products, I don't mean the tools. I mean, what are students creating? So if it's student content creation, are you, what are the products they're creating? But back it up, what's the process to create that product? Can students explain it, narrate it? Do they know why they're even doing it, right? And is it performance tasks? So I think about things like art, music, PE. How are regular classroom teachers seeing what's happening in those specials? Well, technology is a great way to capture it, share, share it, showcase it. And then finally, practices, right? If it's, you know, we all hung those posters up on our, about our math practices and demonstrating, well, kids don't go home and watch TV. Kids watch tutorials. They're on YouTube. They, they know what a good tutorial looks like. So if I hand a student an iPad where I say the two of you go out in the hall and explain this back to me, somebody's absent, great. Make a three-minute video that teaches this tool so that tomorrow they can show it. That's really showing those math practices in an authentic way. If we give students an audience, or if there is an audience, you're going to really hear that authentic voice. And that's going to capture, you've got a product, you've got a process capture, it's a performance task, and it's the math practices. And that's just one example. And, 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 th and that is a great example. Like everything that you hit on, I absolutely love, love because, again, just the authenticity, giving the students the opportunity uh, oftentimes there isn't time for discussion as many times we may go through classrooms because while we've got to do the curriculum, we got to be here at this point at this time, we've got either a benchmark or we've got a data point assessment that's coming. So we got to focus on that. And I feel that we miss out on so many of those opportunities to really bring these tools and allow the students to really do the learning and explain the why to them. Because oftentimes, and, and one of the things that I, I recently had a uh, guest, Mr. James O'Neill, and we we're talking about math. And oftentimes when we teach math, it's like, well, three plus or three times three is nine and that's it. But what's the why? Like it's three equal groups of three and, and going a little bit deeper rather than just either mimicking or rem um, remembering some mnemonic devices, but really going and diving deep. So I love everything that you shared there, which kind of brings me a little bit into do this next question uh, that I have, because of course I, I, I did a lot of homework on you, you know, before you came Whoa. on and been listening to a lot of shows, but you know, you talk a little bit about how technology transformed teachers, not the teaching. So can you explain a little bit how 
educators can leverage technology to transform their professional practice. Yeah, it's, you know, forever we've been at the cusp of something revolutionary. Well, if COVID didn't spark that revolution, it's, it's not going to happen. And, and I think these promises of wide-scale, humongous changes with technology can be unrealistic. But what we see every single day is transformational practice with technology. And it's finding those people who are those leaders who are making that happen. Um, it, I'm going to go back for a minute about that math question, because that's a simple math question. Three times three is nine, right? Students, and it's connected to that because it's capturing that why. Why is three times three nine? Well, this is where I might connect with a teacher and say, let's just flip that, you know, put on the board. The answer is nine. What's the question? Turn on a camera and have, you know, all the different kids in the classroom get together, put their heads together for two minutes, come up with as many questions where the answer is nine. Sometimes it's just like that. That's innovation. That's not technology. That's just a flipped way of instead of everyone in the room thinking, there's one question with one right answer. Think of the conversation that generates where you can give an answer and maybe nine is a certain player's number. Maybe nine is a scientific, you know, element aspect or something. There's all these different ways to kind of reimagine what we're doing in classrooms. And yes, I'm a digital learning coach, but you know, that's because digital tools happen to be the innovative thing right now, but innovation Sometimes innovation is nothing more than just finding a way to give certain kids exactly what they need at the right time. And for some kids, they know three times three is nine. It's a waste of time to say it's three times three. Or if they don't know what that three times three is nine, can they tell you something else that nine is so that there is value in their answer? And think of the power, right? Think of the message that their answer is right. It might not be the question you are asking, but they're not wrong with when there's one right answer in the classroom. Excellent. Yeah, I love that. Excellent. So yeah, you know, and through your experience that you've had, you know, and when you're talking to teachers and again, innovating, like you mentioned, it's really like that tool is kind of what's going to help you reach a particular student. Maybe not necessarily you have to use those tools with everybody. So I want to ask you, how do you maybe work in working with teachers, your experience with, Maybe you have teachers that are using way too many apps or, you know, how do you kind of talk to them to say, hey, maybe let's kind of slow, keep it simple, maybe as a strategy. How do you handle that? Because I know with technology and Twitter and COVID, everybody takes to Twitter, something new comes up and it's like, oh, I got to try that now. Can you tell us about a little bit, maybe your experiences with that? Yeah, it's. I don't run into people using too many apps, but I do find that it's not really targeted. And it goes back, just like we want students to be able to know their why, we want teachers to be able to know their why too. Why are they using technology? Is it just because it's something they saw on Twitter? Is it because it's a robot that they got and they're dying to do it? Is it because that's the mechanism they used for a data entry for benchmarks? And it's you know, it's sometimes it's just unfocused. They're not even sure. Sometimes it's a great workflow, right? Maybe sometimes it's really efficient. Sometimes innovation is just efficiency. But when I like to talk about three domains of digital learning, because I think those three domains give a little bit of focus toward your question. 
those domains being wellness, competency, creativity. And whether there's a, a teacher who's new to the profession and wants to incorporate more technology, maybe there's a building that's saying, all right, this year we're going to focus on our ed tech use. If you're a new digital learning coach to just say, we're going to, we're going to include more, we're going to ramp up our ed tech this year. That's too big. So maybe splitting it among like looking at digital wellness beyond just citizenship competencies. So you're looking at the skills there and then creativity where maybe that's into the more, how are we publishing? How are we capturing the creativity? Um, I think that helps to target, you know, to your question of if people are just using everything they can find, not organized, not sorted, but it's also not directed and it's not intentional. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I definitely picked up on a lot of that for myself, you know, because in my experience, oftentimes it's we standardize in our district with certain apps that will measure certain things. Um, and we use them for that workflow, like you said, you know, tying in to some of our uh, platforms where we are able to track and so on and so forth. But then obviously, you know, I I'm one of those two that as soon as I find something, I definitely want to give it a shot. But then I'm also, I've learned too, like, okay, let me see, is there anything that we already do that kind of duplicates those efforts and so on, just so we can keep that focus? Because sometimes I believe that, you know, a lot of students, a lot of apps, it's a lot to take into account. And some of the feedback, because I do get to work with parents also as well, some of the feedback is like, well, you know, I did I miss a message on Remind? Did I miss a message on Google Classroom, on Seesaw? Um, Flipgrid and all of this, and and they get overwhelmed too as well. So those are some of the things that uh, you know, like I like that you mentioned. You know, really see what the end result is and what the focus is going to be. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Another thing. Know, well, go, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, because yeah, like, I, I want you to continue with that. <laughs> yeah, you're. You know, you're in a role similar to mine, and I think about. It, and you're right. We find something new comes along. We're excited about it. We want to try it, but like. In roles like ours, you know the staff person you can go to to say, I found something kind of new. I don't have a formal lesson plan, but I want to see how this lands with kids. I want to see this device in kids' hands. I want to see this, you know, this remote in your, whatever it is you're testing out. But you know who to test that out with. And you know other staff members where you've got to have three months of data behind you. You've got to convince. Well, you, you don't need to convince them, but you need to be convinced why, what's the bones behind that before you bring it into their classroom. And that's usually because it's either tight time, it's testing season, or really you have to prove what's the educational value. Because if you just want to do this and it's going to be gone next year, they're going to tell you, don't waste your time. You know, and that's, that's a, such an interesting thing. How much of technology is not about just technology. It's about who's the, who's Who's the teacher you're working with as a coach? It's a partnership piece, it's those relationships. And it takes persuasion sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, something you said at the beginning was when, when you have a teacher who's really overwhelmed with curriculum things, it's easy for them to say, I don't have time to that fun stuff, or I don't have time. How does this fit into the curriculum? Or, you know, that's, that I think speaks to a mindset of you know, educational technology falling at two o'clock on Thursday, it's time for computers, right? And we see that still in some classrooms. 
where you see other classrooms where Chromebooks are out all throughout the day and it's truly embedded. And I think we now is a kind of time where we have everything in between. We have full integration and everyone's pretty much one-to-one now. So it's not about one-to-one. Having the devices in the classroom hasn't changed instructional practice dramatically whole scale unless it's an initiative. But so for me, it's that idea of, you know, where, when the technology in your building is still viewed as other, or it's not viewed as central and kind of a key competency toward ELA instruction or math instruction or social studies research, when, as long as it's other, it's, it's going to be a fight to find time and it's going to be take more convincing to integrate technology more effectively. Yeah, no, and we absolutely see that, you know, at the very beginning of the year. However, this year we did do something a little different, which, you know, in my previous years, you know, with, uh, you know, my directors and so on that were there, usually it's all those decisions were made up at the top as far as what we're going to have. But this last year was great that we actually, again, reached out to the teachers, said, hey, what is it that you're using? You know, we selected K through, I think it was K through five. And then six through 12 and said, okay, what are you guys using so we can break it down so we can get stuff for, you know, those appropriate grade levels that will still tie into the curriculum. And so we got some great feedback. We've got responses. And then based on that, that was a decision that we made for certain platforms. And it went a little bit better than it used to, where oftentimes we would get the pushback because it's like, I don't want that because it's like, no, because you chose it. I don't want it. Or something like that of that sort. But this time it was a little bit different. And now what we're doing too, my colleague and myself, we're go we're visiting classrooms because there's certain platforms or certain apps that teachers would love to use and they are, you know, using them in a phenomenal way. So now we're kind of scouting and seeing, okay, how are they delivering the lesson? How can this tie into our curriculum? How can this embed? And so it's been great, you know, the way that the culture and the climate has changed uh, with that too as well. And, you know, I'll be always taking into account our end user, which is our teachers. And we definitely want them to feel comfortable. And again, also, like you said, not necessarily like, okay, it's two o'clock. I got to put you on the computer, but that they can still use the tech, the Chromebooks to augment the learning and just bring, bring out a great learning experience rather than just the, okay, I got to put in my 30 minutes just because they're going to do a report and we got to make sure that we use it. So yeah, definitely great. That's awesome. It seems so obvious to start with what the teachers want and the teachers need, right? But how often is that the case? It's rarely the case where you're adopting a new, you know, reading, writing curriculum or a math program or, or what apps to pick and choose. But starting with the teachers, clearly it's having a benefit already. And then you being able to go around and capture what's happening and then promote that, I think is really going to, be impactful because, you know, if it's left up to the teacher to promote what they're doing themselves, that you endanger yourself of getting your eyes rolled from the teacher next door. But if you're going around showcasing the power in the tools that are using, that's going to transfer. And then, you know, a reluctant teacher, suddenly there's a little bit of peer pressure, which is not always a bad thing for a reluctant teacher to try something. Absolutely. You know, even talking with parents, because I get to work with parents too, that, you know, doing Technology Tuesdays, we talk to parents about about the tech and obviously they have questions. And that's where we kind of get that feedback too of like, hey, I just got a remind, but then I've got this other alert on this app and then I got this other 
third. So they're like, oh, can we just, you know, narrow it down to like yeah. one place where I can get all that information and so on. Um, one of the other things that we started doing is actually working with my math content specialist. So my colleague and myself will go and we're doing parent meetings where we're teaching parents, you know, what it should be going on in the math classroom and actually what is going on in the math classrooms. Because as you know, that a lot of the parents think like, oh, this new math is different, this new sure. math and so on. So it's been great to inform them and show them the practice and the why the math is done that way. And it kind of reminded me about what you said as far as, well, just put the answer up there and, and the answer is nine. So now you got to think, well, what's going to give you nine? And so parents were under the notion that the state's uh, uh, exams were just multiple choice, all A, B, C, D, and that students all had to do is just know how to multiply, add, divide, and subtract. But when we show them that, hey, you know what? The state tells you what 11 times 12 is equal to, what they want to know is which of these pictures represents that value. And they're using the base 10 blocks. The students will have to construct bar graphs and so on. So it's no longer just knowing the answer. It's actually constructing an answer and knowing. And so it's been great to see the parent feedback in a sense of a little bit at the beginning of pushback, like, well, no, this isn't the way that it should be done because this isn't the way I learned it. But but when we talk to them and then we show it and we share them and then we have them also do the problems using a uh, polypad. So they'll use the digital tools as well. That That's awesome. same ones that are being used in the classroom. They're like, oh my gosh, this makes things so much easier. And sure, we'll even right. get them to say, I get it. Now I know why. And those are the moments that are great when we have that feedback from parents too, as well as being part of those stakeholders and being part of the conversation. That has really helped and changed uh, the culture there in our district. And then also, like you said, a little bit of that peer pressure now amongst parents where are like, hey, you've got to learn this. And then so the next parent meeting, the you know, the neighbor or the sister-in-law or whoever, the relative will come and then they'll be part of that meeting too as well. So it's been going great. That's great from an equity point of view too, because then you're involving parents. You're broadening the support system for students and you're creating you know, we talked at the beginning about those moments that are meaningful, memorable, measurable. You created those moments for parents. And, you know, if you're not a, if you're not an educator, you may not believe that story that parents say, I get this for the first time, but I know it's true. It's not that I, I was able to get the answer because they've always been able to get the answer, but to be able to say, now I know why, like really unpacking it, seeing it in front of them, it's, it is pretty magical. And that's where we get to swoop in and say, you know, explain it, capture it and record yourself teaching it back. You're empowered. You finally get it. So while it's fresh in your head, explain it, walk me through it. And that's like, that's really the sweet spot. That is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just kind of want to change the, the conversation here also to the new question here. Again, like I said, I did my homework before you came on. So I know that you were on a podcast and uh, I can't remember which one I got this from because I just kind of copied the notes, but we're talking about the the four C's and we're talking about compassion, connection, culture, and climate. And so that's definitely something that is very important. So my question to you is, is how can school leaders incorporate these elements into their leadership practice and how can they transmit that to their teachers as well? 
Well, what I love is that you, this, those four C's you mentioned, those are the four C's that I kind of propose for a post-pandemic view, right? We're 23 years into the 21st century and we're still making spaghetti towers and marshmallow, you know, and calling it four C's because yes, it is communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity, kind of those original four C's. And those are critical, but we're coming back from a pandemic with classrooms full of kids who can't walk together in the hallway and don't know how to take turns. And hopefully we're, we're resolving some of that and growing out of it. But my point is those first four C's, we can't get to those without an additional view that is a different set of four C's that you mentioned, and that's connection, compassion, culture, and climate. And you talked about those parent nights as building culture and climate. So for school leaders, what can they do? They can kind of think about that before they build popsicle stick bridges in a staff meeting to say, this is innovative thinking. Really think about, is your staff, you know, what's the message that gives your staff? One thing during COVID, people really took responsibility for their own professional learning in a way I think that we hadn't seen before. And I, I say professional learning different from professional development, right? Professional development is always like done to us. Professional learning is what we choose to do, where we choose to go, who we choose to follow. And if a leader is doing the same staff meeting, hokey bits that they were doing five years ago, teachers are over it. And teachers are feeling, I think, almost disrespected that, you know, I, I don't want to talk about innovation in that sense of, yes, I know how to to build those bridges. And I know what that does for students. I, I don't need to be treated, put in position of a fourth grader to understand that. Let's spend that time talking about the other four C's, connection, compassion, culture, climate. Let's talk about the social, emotional needs in our building. Let's talk about one of those three domains I mentioned, wellness. So we can talk about behavioral things we see happening with technology. How are kids, what's their cognitive connection to their devices and their relationships? What is the social, emotional impact of the relationships? And it's well beyond digital citizenship passwords and just cyberbullying reporting. It's a lot more than that. It's how are they connecting? Who are they connecting with? Those are the connect. Those are the conversations I'm happening having in classrooms every single day. Excellent. Oh, those, that's great. And I love you sharing that because, again, that's something that's very important. And I love that, you know, that view after pandemic. And, you know, a lot has definitely changed. So we definitely need to also kind of change ourselves and change our modalities of, you know, obviously delivering even professional development and also ourselves, you know, doing our professional learning. And I love that you mentioned that because I had never heard that before. The professional learning mm. is what you choose to do or who you choose to follow. Professional development is what's kind of given to us, you know, at that sense. So, yeah, excellent. Well, Jed, it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time this evening and definitely pleasure. learned so much. But before we go, Jed, if you can, please make sure that you tell our, our all our audience members how they can go ahead and connect with you. Sure. Uh, my Twitter right there on the screen is at Stefanowitz135. That's me on Twitter. Uh, I have a webpage, jedpd.com. Uh, the first book that I mentioned, Take Aim at Digital Learning, that's on Amazon. That's also on my webpage. And then my latest book that just came out uh, a month or two ago is called Impact Influence. And that tells the story of 
amazing leaders like yourself, Fons, who are, you know, are working with students, but instead of impacting, you know, 20, 25 kids at a time, they're influencing hundreds, thousands at the local, state, national, international level, building policy, building programs. How are, oh, look at that. You put it on the screen in case you're just a listener. Uh, yes, impact influence. So what's cool about, what's unique about that book, hopefully, is um, it's 20 different leaders that I connected with. And what I did was I asked them, okay, can I tell your story? And they helped me come up with four or five pages about someone. And then there's a QR code. And that QR code goes to a 20-minute Zoom interview. And it's, I'm not a podcaster. Uh, because there are better podcasters than me. Case in point right now, you're a pro. But what I did do was I wanted to capture conversations with people like this so they could tell their story and then I could share it kind of like a podcast in a book. So it was kind of a cool idea. Hopefully we'll see how it turns out. But it was really a way to to celebrate these unique stories that we all have a lot to learn from. So website jedpd.com, at Stefanowitz135 on Twitter. Um, and you, all my other contact info is there. Well, it, it's been a real treat to be on here. And I, it's always great to talk with kind of like-minded right, people who we, we get the same stuff and we're doing the same stuff every day. We love what we do, but we also love at night this kind of thing too, because this is where we get to learn. Absolutely, Jed. And today was definitely a great learning experience for me. I'm not going to lie. And especially hearing your experience, you know, still similar roles, different titles, but I definitely gleaned a lot from today's conversation that I'm looking forward to kind of re-listening and digesting and, you know, just adding a couple of things to my tool belt. And then of course, sharpening those skills too, as well. And so thank you so much for your time tonight. But before we go, this is one of my favorite segments too, where I get to end here with the last three questions. And I'm not sure if you've listened uh, or a listener of the show, but these are the three questions that I always ask my guests before we go. So question number one, Jed, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu-kryptonite? Edu-kryptonite, I like that. Um, I would probably say that it is some form of disengagement whether it's an educator who has been, who's lost that love for the job that they fell in love, right? If they've fallen out of love with their job, that's kind of a bummer. And that's a call to action for us. Or it's a teacher who's disengaged from what we're doing in their classroom, right? It's it's such a bummer when we're doing something that we know has done that activation, innovation, motivation, and the teacher is taking that chance to correct papers in the back of the room. And I know that you've had it happen to you too, and it's, it's the worst, but worst of all, it's if student disengagement and if students aren't loving, if they're not wanting to come to school, if they're not engaged in the classroom, then that's on us. And we have to find ways to, to improve. Excellent. Great answer, Jed. Thank you so much. All right. Question number two is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I, I did get this preview question and I, I came up with an idea that I'm, I think is kind of cool. It's kind of like this book. Um, I would just put a huge QR code up on a bullet on a, on a billboard and drivers by walkers by passers by wouldn't know what it was, but every time they hold up their phone, 
It'd be whatever inspirational thing I wanted to put there. It could be this podcast. It could be a quote. It could be a photo. It could be a sunrise. It would be things that I find interesting, things that bring me meaning, things that are part of my professional learning journey. And I would put them up there to share because that's, I mean, if we're not doing that, then we're missing a real opportunity to showcase the amazing things the people around us are doing. That's why I'm a digital learning coach. So I think if I drove by a QR code, I'd be a sucker and hold up my phone and find out what it is. And hopefully if it gave me something to smile or learn from, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait till next week to see what's next. Absolutely. That is great. I love that. That is a really unique answer and also a very techie answer, but I, <laughs> yeah, well, I know is, I mean, you can, and then, like you said, you can change it up every week or every so often. And you know, that's great. Keeping it fresh. And then everybody walks by, gets a different message each time. And you just never know what that message may do for that one person. Maybe that was what exactly what they needed to see or hear. And you just made their day. So that is a great answer, Jed. And All by right. the way, anyone can do that in a cafeteria or hallway. I, I, that just kind of popped in. Literally, I thought of that idea this afternoon. And then just now I'm thinking, why don't I do that right now at school? Why don't I do it? Why don't I stick it on the bathroom wall for teachers to just say, like positive graffiti. Absolutely. I was going to say that, you know, there's a, uh, they're in our building, they're the admin building. And then there's some other schools too, as well. They'll post, uh, you know, the, the teacher bathrooms, they'll have like it's little memes. Worse. It's always yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. They just put the memes in there and everything. And of course it's the seasonal memes because it's, you know, Valentine's and of course spring break and all that. And, you know, at least it, it kind of gets you out of your thought for a little bit. And they just kind of, you glance at it, you smile and all that. So yeah, definitely, that, that'll that definitely work. All right. So now you were talking about, you know, you not being a podcaster yet, but pretty much it just seems yeah. like, yeah, and I'm saying yet because the way that you have your book, I mean, you're really essentially doing a podcast or, you know, you're, you know, recording and so on. So let's say that tonight, this was your show, The Digital Learning Coach. All right. And I get to be a guest on your show. What might be one question you would like to ask me? Fonz, it's been great having you on my podcast. But before you go, let me ask you. That's what I would say, right? Just like you do, because that's, and I honestly did do something like that in the interviews in my book. Um, but because the book is called Impact Influence, Pathway Portraits of Risk Takers, Rule Breakers, and Change Makers, you, your story could be in this book. And if there's a volume two, you're in there first in line. But, you know, my ed tech life didn't happen on its own. You created this ecosystem and it's podcasts. It's, I mean, you have a lot of branches that you really work hard to do and you don't have to do any of it. So I would ask you, is that because you are a risk taker? Do you define yourself as a rule breaker or a change? So again, if you had to get a tattoo, that's really my question. Would it say, well, you're so lucky to be able to fawns on your arm, first of all. Would it, underneath fawns, would it say risk taker, rule breaker, or change maker? All right. I would probably, well, can I pick two? All right. Because <laughs> I, I honestly, I would really see myself that way. And honestly, like being in the classroom, I was always that risk taker that I always did what no other teacher did. And, uh, you know, it, like, okay, so Matthew Woods, said, okay, I, I met with him once. He goes, Fon, sometimes they don't teach you how to do the curriculum, but you got to pretend that that standard is a sandbox and you can kick as much sand around 
as long as you don't cross <laughs> that little line. So I was always that taking risks in the classroom, not being afraid of failure because of my ability to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And even in make taking a risk and, you know, not doing well, the students saw that and the students would be like, hey, it's okay. Let's try it this way. And so I didn't mind taking risks because I knew that my class had my back if it didn't quite work out and they showed me grace. But I also see myself as, at least I like to see myself as a change maker too, because I've always told people, you know, my story is that I never wanted to be an educator, but 16 years later, here I am still in education and I absolutely love everything about it, you know, and so I want to give back. And if doing this show and having some amazing guests like yourself and all the other 180 guests that I've had where educators can just learn and pick up one little thing that they can sprinkle onto what they do great, you know, and make that change. That's that's what it's all about. So really, that's where I draw my passion from, from taking the risk of doing these shows and just going out there and putting myself out there, but also in hopes of making that change and change for the better. So, yeah, that's so that's a great question. Hopefully that's a great answer. For it is you a great this answer. Is your podcast. <laughs> as, a, as an outsider, I can promise you, you are a change maker because look at what you've created. You have an audience, you have a platform. People are listening. And like I said, you don't have to do this. And the fact that you are says something. And, you know, among the greatest compliments someone can give to an educator, and I'll say you, based on the, based on the way you describe your instructional practice and your mojo as a classroom teacher, I would have been a kid who thrived in your class. And I can also see teachers where I know I would have crumbled. So that's my compliment to you because you know what that's like to hear that. And I wish I had you as a teacher as one of those kind of compliments. And it's, it's the truth. So thank you. Thank you, Jed. I really appreciate it. It's not, like I said, sometimes being on this side, you know, we really don't get like a lot of feedback or anything, but coming from you and, you know, that really means a lot. So thank you so much for making my day and filling my bucket, my friend. I really appreciate right. it. And for all our audience members also that are going to be catching this on the replay, whether it's on YouTube, please make sure you give us a thumbs up and you subscribe. Also, please make sure that you uh, subscribe to our podcast as well. And you can do so by visiting our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 180 wonderful episodes from amazing with amazing educators, like I mentioned right now that you can learn from, take some knowledge nuggets, sprinkle it onto what you are already doing great and, you know, just have some fun. So thank you so much as always for all of your support. Also, if you'd like to support our mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time, please uh, just drop by our website too. We've got a merch store or you can buy us a cup of coffee. Whatever the case is, it all goes back to the show, guys, because this is our mission to continue to be a change maker in this space and right on. bring you the basket. Thank you so much. And as always, my friends, until next time, don't forget, stay techy. Yeah.